It's Murphy Houston, and it's Mile High Magazine. We're glad you guys are back with us, and so are we glad our friends are back from the Morris Animal Foundation. We have uh, Carol Borchard, the Vice President of Marketing and Brand Strategy, and Dr. Kelly Deal, the Senior Director of Science and Communications. Ladies, welcome back. Well, Great good, to be here. Good morning, Murph. Great to be here. You guys have the longest titles ever, though. Yeah, we do. We're working on that. We yeah, do. Can, we, can we come up with some kind of an acronym or <laughs> something? But anyhow, we're going to talk about a specific thing and what's going on in Australia and what great work the Morris Foundation is doing. But as we left several weeks ago, uh, you guys were working on the end of your year campaign, which was a huge one. So we can talk about that. But for our friends that may not know and we discussed that last time you were here. Many not familiar with an organization that's doing wonderful things, the Morris Animal Foundation, and you've been around forever. We have been. We've been around since 1948, and we were founded by a veterinarian because Dr. Mark Morris Sr. realized there wasn't very much known about how to care for companion animals. He established a foundation to fund animal health studies so that all of us could have more years with our companion animals cats and dogs, and then expanded into horses, and then expanded into wildlife. So now Morris Animal Foundation is a global organization, and we fund animal health studies all over the world. And some fascinating stuff. In fact, Kelly, Dr. Deal, you're involved with a lot of that stuff. Yes. And um, what's really fun about my job is I get to read about all the great research that we're doing, write it up to explain it to lay people to get them excited about what we do and hopefully donate to us. So it's been a really great ride for me, too. Well, speaking of donating, how was the year-end campaign? How did, <laughs> how did we do? Uh, we did fantastic. So just to give your listeners an idea, every year Morris Animal Foundation funds between 7 and $8 million externally in research. Every year. So every year Woo. we are sending, we are doing about 150 to 200 animal health studies to benefit animals. And so the end of year campaign is very important for us. And this year we raised just over a million dollars, which that was thanks to you know yeah. a lot of folks in Colorado, people giving one-time gifts, people signing up for memberships. Our board of trustees did a $200,000 kind of kickoff and matching gift. And we, of course, far exceeded that. So that million dollars goes a long way to helping animals everywhere have Longer, healthier lives. That, that's fantastic. A million dollars. Fantastic, mm -hmm. yes. Because people don't think about doing research for animal care, whatever it might be, your cat and dog or the monkey living in the tree somewhere yeah. around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's all that money goes to research. Am I right about that? Let's clarify that. Yeah. So we have an endowment that pays the majority of our administrative costs. Almost all donated funds, very, very close to all, not quite all, but most of donated funds go to support scientific studies. And that can be everything from cancer research, because, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the leading cause of death in our companion dogs is cancer. Sure. Uh, to research, uh, you know, research for helping cats in shelter situations, improving their health so they can be adopted. Wildlife studies, which are we're going to talk a little bit more about later on. There are many threats to wildlife globally, and our research really helps to protect species as well as you know, keep the biodiversity strong on our planet as we go through challenging times. And people may not realize, but your your headquarters are right here in Denver. 
They are. They yes. weren't always here. The founder was on the East Coast, if I remember right. Right. Dr. Mark Morris Sr., his clinic was in New Jersey, the Raritan Animal Hospital. But the foundation was established here due to some other family connections, as I said, in 1948. So we've been in Denver that whole time. And, you know, we're just an, an amazing organization, if I can say so myself. And we want more people in Denver to know who we are and what we do and, and not only support the foundation, but there's so much information that they can learn about how to care for their companion animals, what, visiting our website. They can sign up for our newsletters and just and learn a lot every day from the foundation. Well, we better have that website now. Public. Oh, might as well throw it out right <laughs> now. Right right. Out <laughs> Super easy. MorrisAnimalFoundation.org. And thank you all. If you're listening and you donated after our last conversation yes, we had a couple yes. of months ago, and maybe they're involved with the foundation somehow, and that's good news. That's wonderful that's news. Wonderful. Well, uh, Dr. Deal, let's talk to you. I know you came to talk about a big announcement you just made to help the animals in Australia that just seem to be deplorable with these fires there, what's happening to the animals, and what are you guys doing about it? Right. Well, um, we've been a presence in Australia for a long time. We've talked about that we fund globally. So we uh, have many researchers down in Australia, and we've done a fair number of funding of wildlife studies down there. So you can imagine in our foundation, for us personally, this is affecting a lot of us. We see these are our friends and colleagues that are really struggling. And also, of course, seeing because we're an animal-based foundation, right. this is really heart-wrenching for us to watch what's going on down in Australia. And so we decided to devote a million dollars, commit a million dollars towards funding research to help restore the wildlife, to help learn about the health effects of these wildfires. While we know there's a big need, obviously, for boots on the ground, and I think when people watch the news, they see the rescue efforts. What we also know is that there are going to be long-term effects from this particular catastrophe. And we're committing funds to learning more about the health effects and, again, help restore what are, in some places, as people know, this is the only place some of these animals live. They're really, really unique wildlife to that region, and they're going to need help. And we know they're going to need help to recover. Could it possibly be the end of these certain species that you find mainly in Australia? I mean, could it just be wiped out because of these fires? Well, um, it's possible. I think we'll have small populations left. But just to give an example that was really tough for us is we funded we funded a lot of research in koalas. And as people out there know, and there's lots of jokes made about chlamydia in koalas, but sure. it actually is a very serious problem. And just this past summer, we were happy to work with a team that found a chlamydia-free um, group of koalas on Kangaroo Island. Wow, that's great. And people said this could be a population that could be used to restore disease-free koalas onto the mainland and other areas. Well, if you've been watching the fires, Kangaroo Island is affected, and estimates are up to about 80% of this very precious population of koalas is gone now right. and lost. And um, that is a serious, serious thing i'm you know there's 500 to 800 million animals and that number keeps going up that have been lost and that includes of course livestock domestic and other domestic animals but a lot of wildlife and not just the 
fuzzy ones, you yeah, know, like right, koalas right. and kangaroos. It's affecting amphibians, um, reptiles, and there are offshoot effects, I think, as people also are aware, there's a microclimate developing down there, right? The fires are so huge, so that it's also warming the waters. So again, now we're talking about sea life and marine life that's going to be affected by this as well. Well, stuff you don't even think about. I mean, you hear Mm -hmm. bits and pieces of the news. So Carol, is this why you guys are jumping in? Is this kind of unusual? Well, the fires are unusual. So I imagine it's unusual for an organization such as yourself, the Morris Animal Foundation, to jump in with this, here's a million bucks, we're going to help try to save the species? Well, for us, that's part of what we do. Uh, Our first studies in Australia, we began in 2003, and we were studying reproduction uh, in koalas and kangaroos because we could already see some problems happening. During the Gulf of Mexico oil spill, the Horizon oil oil spill, One of our, uh, you know, one of our big advocates is Betty White. And Betty White donated $25,000 to establish the Betty White Wildlife Rapid Response Fund. Right. And that fund was specifically created to respond to emerging crises for wildlife that could affect species that, that might go extinct. And so building upon that, we've, we've given out funding. We've built that fund over the years, of course. And so we're responding but this is so huge. The fires, I think the last figures have burned 27 million acres. And it, it's, it's incredible to think of that. Australia is just entering the high point of their fire season. So we know that it, it's just, you know, as Kelly has mentioned, the microclimates and forests are kindling. And so everything is just going up. This was so huge that we decided to go above and beyond and dedicate an additional million, in addition to the research we're, we're already funding in Australia, that we wanted to step in. You know, our chief scientific officer, Janet Patterson Kane, is from New Zealand. Right. And so she she personally has a passion. We know there are more than 300 species of wildlife in Australia that are unique to Australia. And she knows that if we don't step up, at least right now with some emergency funding, you know, maybe we can make things somewhat better, but this is just the beginning. It sure is, sure mm-hmm. is. And, and Kelly, what what are we talking about? I mean, what are you, what are you going to what are what is the Morris Foundation going to study? What are you looking at? Right. Well, we decided to go to the researchers on the ground. So we spoke with them before the creation of the fund, and what we've done is actually set up a forum, online forum for people not just from Australia but all over the world wildlife researchers to come together to discuss what do they think are going to be the pressing needs and kind of give us an idea. So we're not dictating to them what to do. We're waiting for them to tell us, well, here's some areas that we've identified that are really important, and this is maybe where we can put this funding. So we're we're monitoring that right now and getting suggestions and input from experts and again from around the world we've really tried to get people to collaborate because i think we know that this while the scope and the size is unique to australia right now fires are not unique right Right, just ask anyone in california right um and so we know that this could be a global problem it is a global problem and again people the more people i think that put their ideas in 
and discuss it, the better for us. And we're looking to them for to help us decide, well, here's where we need to be focusing this money. And what we'll probably do is do something similar to what we do with our regular grant cycle, which is put out what we call an RFP, a call for proposals, that people will then respond to, as well as say, here's areas of interest for us. Let's hear what you come come to us and, and let's see what you have. Well, and can you even really start anything until the fires are done and you can mm-hmm. see what the damage is to these animals? How do you begin that's, that? I mean, wh- wh- that's wh- one of the challenges mm-hmm. for um, for us. There are areas that we can't. Our our people on the ground they can't even get into yet. So as Kelly mentioned, we've got some populations, some species that are really small and they have a very small habitat, and those could be completely wiped out. We just don't know. So looking longer term, you know, we know that. There are things we don't understand about how to treat animals for burn longer term, how to treat smoke inhalation. So there might be some research around those, but chemical exposures, there's chemicals being used in firefighting. You know, what are the effects of that on local populations, on larger populations? What happens when that goes into the the ocean or, you know, into the groundwater? How does that impact species? So there's not only these short-term needs, but... If we have a population that's been impacted and has had 80% of itself wiped out, how do then we restore? What are, you know, how do we create programs to restore populations in a, in a way that's safe and responsible? And I, so there's so many different areas, but as Kelly mentioned, we really want to take the lead for the foundation from people on the ground, from sure. wildlife researchers around the world who can really assess that. And are they? They're probably tracking that already, don't you think, Kelly? The people that are there with boots on the ground, so to, so to speak, that I, are researching this. I think so, and I think right now, though, their immediate concerns obviously are first aid, right, emergency treatment, and as Carol mentioned, I unfortunately I think we don't even know when we talk to our researchers there. They don't can't even get into these areas, so we don't know everything about well, what's left, right? right. Where are they? Um, how many individuals, and I think we're going to have to wait a little bit, but in that period, we can be starting, right, to get our ideas, start to hear what researchers are thinking that are going to be issues, and so that we can be agile and nimble to jump in then when we have the chance. And you read in the news, can this be possible, or is it a bit of an exaggeration, a billion species are gone? A a billion animals. Animals are gone. (laughs) That's, or they think are going to be gone. Right, right. But the a billion? Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's a huge uh, number. And I think it is staggering, almost beyond. But again, when you think about the scope of wildlife and even things, birds, right, marine life, like we said, the, the animals that you think, well, maybe they won't be as affected. Uh, we, we're we quite sure they will be. We just don't know what that's going to look like even yet. So it's a huge number of animals. And again, it's not going to be all at once, right? It's yeah. going to be over time because sure. you're going to have animals that are sick, animals that may survive but are debilitated, that's ripe for disease to yeah. take hold too. So it, it's these second and third order effects that also are going to be coming down the road. Well, And I think it's unprecedented, Murphy, that 
the 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 intensity of these fires. So if if we just look at koalas as an example, because you know those those pictures are just heart wrenching. Well, and those are the ones you see all the time. Those poor oh, koalas. I mean, they're burned up and they're trying to survive. It's just awful. So koalas. I mean, there's bushfires that happen in Australia. That's part of the normal cycle. But these fires are very very different. The the intensity. So koalas, the only way they can get away from a fire is to go higher up the tree, and that's what they would normally do. But now those trees are just going up like torches. So their normal way of protecting themselves from fire doesn't work anymore. And that's why you're seeing the koala population really being impacted by these fires. It's just hard to believe that Mm -hmm. that can happen. Now, uh, Kelly, will these animals, through being forced to change their way they live, to survive? Are they, do they have that flexibility? Well, um, some don't. Um, I think we all know koalas are very specific in their eating and their habitat. So you can't just move them. I mean, they're terrest- they live in trees. They don't go down the ground very often. So you can't just throw them in a pen somewhere, right? right I mean, right. that's not really going to work for them. Uh, same with when you think of kangaroos, um, wallabies. I mean, they live in ways that are hard. We struggle with other species, right, in captivity to make it a habitat where they can thrive. And that's a whole other discussion when people talk about how do we design these these areas. So we are in some dire straits there because we are um, killing their habitat, which, again, because they're so unique, there's nothing different for them and replicate. Right. Yeah. How are you going to replicate that somewhere? So it's a it's a huge um, problem. And again, as Carol mentioned, we see things like smoke inhalation, which we occasionally treat in small animals. Sure. They get caught in fires. And that's a huge lifelong. They can suffer the effects of that. Lung damage. Life, lung damage sure. lifelong. So so how do you it's one thing to treat the dog in your house that could have long standing effects. But how do you treat animals in the wild that could have these long-standing effects. So again, these are all questions that we need to answer. Well, and I actually read an article, I don't know, last weekend in the paper that said some of these animals are coming into the population seeking water or Mm -hmm. food. And these wild camels, are there wild camels there in Australia? (laughs) And kangaroos that are actually like coming up to their air conditioners and trying to suck the water out of the air conditioners right. that are attached to homes. Mm-hmm. How scary is that? I know. And I think we've seen those pictures that everybody go, oh, isn't that cute? The little water bottle with the firefighters. I think we've seen a lot of yeah. those with koalas. Well, that's a fairly desperate koala yeah. to do that. I mean, that is not their normal behavior uh, to do. Again, I think it just emphasizes the desperation um We've seen dogs, right, rescue animals. That's not a normal interaction. Right. And I think even though those are, again, very heartwarming pictures, the subtext is that is a very, very desperate animal to to do that. And it goes on. I don't know. You never hear. Is there any relief in sight? Is the fire just continuing to burn? And there's so many, even a lot of Americans are over there helping fight the fires. Right. right People right. are donating money. You read about it all the time. It's, you know, celebrities finally are stepping up and, given money, but is, is that helping? Is it just going to continue? Do we know? Well, you know, our um, uh, Amy Eagle Thompson is the president of our board of trustees, and she left yesterday for Australia just to go help on the ground, just to help with rescue and first aid care. Right. She, she just 
has been watching like the rest of us and was heartbroken and wanted to do something on her own, not in affiliation with the foundation. So I know people just are, you know, what can we do to help? And the relief right now is not in sight because we're not heading into the rainy season yet for Australia. That's true. So That's true. It's their January, summer over there. Yeah, January, mm-hmm. February are still going to be hot. The, the hottest yeah. day ever recorded in Australia was in December. You know, the temperatures there are just warmer than in the history of of as long as Australia has been keeping track. So. Right now, you know, most of the fires are in New South Wales. So there's much of the country that is not impacted except from smoke. Sure. Smoke is terrible right now. But there isn't an end in sight for these wildfires right now. Not not in the next month or two. Sad. So, Carol, has the Morris Animal Foundation ever done anything like this before? Is this new territory for you guys? Um, this is part of what we call our wildlife portfolio, right? So we are out there doing studies to help wildlife around the world. We have, we work with a lot of species that are threatened. Uh, so they're, they're labeled as vulnerable or threatened, you know, heading into extinction. And with a lot of those populations, when you have really small populations, they need a lot of special consideration and care. So much of our research with wildlife is looking at endangered species or infectious disease or how a disease in a domestic animal like a dog may cross over and impact wild animals. We do emergency funding. You know, we talked a little bit about our Betty White Rapid Response Fund, and that provides emergency funding to wildlife researchers who are facing, you know, a, a, just a dire situation. Right, right. But this is above and beyond really anything the foundation has done in terms of an emergency response. Kelly talked about this forum and, you know, our, our normal cycle for approving grants can be up to six months. This will be a much tighter turnaround because we want to get money in the hands of researchers who need it, who need it right now, who need it in the next month or two or three, particularly when the fires, you know, when they can get into those areas. So, Kelly, let's talk a little bit more about that. You've mentioned you've got researchers there in Australia. How long have you guys been involved in Australia before all of this has happened? Um, as Carol mentioned, 2003, so good 20, yep. almost 20 years that we've been funding down there. And, yes, uh, as Carol again mentioned, we some of our earliest researcher research was aimed at reproduction, which is a big area of wildlife research to begin with. For So that's a big uh, funding bucket area for us. But most recently, we've been involved again with the koalas, with chlamydia. They also have a retrovirus, which complicates matters. And we've uh, also been emphasizing the Tasmanian devil transmissible cancer. So So for the last few years, those have been two areas of particular emphasis for us. But we've also funded researchers in Australia who were doing horse research because they obviously have horses. And, you know, so we fund also more conventional, I think, studies, not just wildlife, to researchers down there as well. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I had read, you know, I read too much, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. You hear all these stories. But I heard some of the good news, I guess it's good news, that they've discovered species of animals they never knew existed that they, through the digging and saving of others, they've discovered these in parts of Australia. Is that true? Or is that fake news? 
I have not heard that, Murphy. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Kelly, do you, <laughs> you want to weigh in sure. on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I've heard, heard that either. But um, which it's would possible. be... It's possible. It's mm-hmm. possible uh, because they're, it's pretty diverse. And I think we, even with uh, as much as we know, we're always finding new species, right? That yeah. uh, we didn't realize were, were out there or subspecies that we think are one species, but they're actually a different one. And yeah. Well, yeah. and the insect populations too. There's right. so many insects we we've not identified so they're worried those we might just never we might just lose those completely and i want to add to what kelly was saying too we also have been funding um chytrid studies what mm-hmm. chytrid chytrid fungus right. which is dev i know this is so so much terrible sad but it's devastating amphibian populations globally so we're funding studies that are looking at this fungus that's affecting frogs and salamanders globally and we've had some studies in australia mm-hmm. that have been funded because uh, we're trying to save, how can we save amphibians from this fungus? So this fungus is worldwide? Yes. Mm-hmm. It has a global distribution. Uh, there was a really good study that came out that we uh, actually funded one of the researchers that found that uh, ground zero or patient zero came from Korea probably 100 years ago. And because of the explosion in the ornamental amphibian trade okay. that spread and um, to other countries and then has mutated. So we know that it's different in different areas, but it's across the globe. And even though the, you know, it's an infectious disease, part of the reason that it's gotten a real hold on amphibians is again, because of climate change and changing habitats that amphibians are not as um, able to fight off infections. So this whole thing in Australia, is that a climate change problem? Can you say that? I mean, they're obviously indicating I, that. I will, you know, I was reading this morning the six retired emergency responders, like chiefs in uh, Australia, who said this is just definitive. We we cannot continue to say this is something that it's not. So the fires of this intensity, the kindling that the forests have turned into already, Australia has been in back-to-back droughts. And and truly, the experts on the ground, climate scientists, definitely climate change here. It's time we face the reality. I, Murphy, I think so. I mean, this is just devastating. And, and let me, as you guys know about Australia, and doctor, you're probably dealing with those people. Obviously, it's a big continent, but it's like these sections of Australia are like countries within Australia. Are they not? Correct. Um, I think we think of Australia, it's yeah. a country, but it's a continent too, yeah, right? It is. So it has some um, major differences. If uh, you go up north to Queensland, that's more tropical almost. And then if you've seen pictures of the interior, it's desert. And if you look at where some of the fires are right now and um, near Sydney, it looks uh, completely different. It's more vegetation. So it's a very, very different um, climate areas. Sure. And uh, right, just to lump it as Australia is right, uh, probably oversimplifying because it has a lot of different areas. We know that the Great Barrier Reef has been a problem. We've funded studies looking at that because I think a lot of people know that it is changing. Coral sure. is dying. The um, It's disappearing in many ways, again, because of ocean temperature change, o- ocean acidity. Those are all, uh, you know, serious, serious problems for for this area. And I think the fires have drawn attention. It's not the way you'd like attention to the problems that are faced in Australia. It's just a, a example of what climate change can do on a 
catastrophic level, but we know it's been creeping along, and that's harder for people to see and sometimes appreciate for a long time. Well, and if it doesn't affect you, you go, nah, it's it's not true. Well, mm-hmm. hello, wake up. I mean, here we go. <laughs> Are you guys have mentioned this word many times in our little conversation with the Morris Animal Foundation, funding. Yes. How can we help? People are listening and going, they see this on the news, and they're wondering, where do we go? Does 100 bucks make a difference? I mean, what can we do to help? Can they donate money to you guys, give you money that we know is going to go to Australia for this research? Yes. So, you know, you can just visit our website, morrisanimalfoundation.org, and there's so many different ways that people can help. One way uh, is to become a loyal friend of the foundation, and that's just even with a monthly gift of 5 or $10 you can support this research. With a one-time gift, you can support this research. You can include Morris Animal Foundation in your estate plan, or if you're getting a, if you take a required minimum distribution from an IRA and you don't want that tax burden, you can donate a portion or all of that to, to Morris Animal Foundation. There's many different ways to give. We encourage people to, to visit our website. You'll see on there a link to donate and all the ways you can donate. And every single gift makes a difference. Every single every gift amount helps. is what we're saying. Every amount. Right. I mean, if you take, you know, 100,000 people in the Denver metro community and they're each giving $5 a year, that's $500,000. Yeah. And that's a lot, of, a lot of research that we can fund just with a small gift. Give us that uh, website again, Carol. MorrisAnimalFoundation.org. Now, on that website, we've got a little time left here. Will they find out some of the stuff you're doing in Australia? Is there Kelly's or stuff there that you're writing up? Yes, there is uh, several articles on what's going on in Australia. And, of course, people can look at what our history of funding those uh, different studies. They're all available. And also, if you're into wildlife, we have lots of other articles. We've just published some information about, you know, adding to the joyful tone of the of the interview, the sea ice melting in the Arctic. We have several researchers up in the Arctic okay. and some information about that and what we're doing to look at that, as well as, of course, our dogs and cats and horses, but we have tons of wildlife stuff and what we've done to help populations recover from the brink of extinction. We've done work in black-footed ferrets. We have one in the Pacific pocket mouse, which is an adorable little thing that looks like a gerbil, (laughs) but it was almost extinct and we're helping, you know, how do we bring that back? And everything we learn from those studies will probably translate in when we have to look at Australia and say, how do we manage a really tiny population and bring it back and, you know, make it a healthy population. We've learned some of that stuff from our other studies. So I, I would really encourage people to go and look. It's it's a pretty broad swath of, of yeah, you're interesting, doing it. You're doing interesting, it. interesting things there that we've done um, in wildlife over the years. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank you for all the work you're doing. You are welcome. And one more thing, Murphy, I was going to say, just encourage people to sign up. We send out a monthly newsletter, too, that gives you updates on dog and cat health and what we're doing in wildlife. And I also want to thank you, Murphy, for showcasing Morris Animal Foundation, for creating awareness around this cause. We are so grateful for the time well, that you're spending with it, us. It's worth yeah. noting. That's why we bring you in because you are there's help out there and you guys yes. are part of that, the Morris Animal Foundation. Thanks again. Yeah, thank we you. really yeah. appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. It's Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston. We'll talk to you next week.